hills. The psalmist and the people of old thought of the hills as enduring and everlasting, and they testified to God's goodness and to his care, reminded that reminded them that God watches over the world. And this morning we want to see that as we look at Luke chapter 12 together and your copies of God's Word, Luke chapter 12, we're looking at verses 13 to 34. Last week we saw how Jesus warned the Pharisees and law experts about the emptiness of external religion. And they did not receive it well. They were looking for opportunity to trap him because they hated what he had to say. And he went on to warn those who were following him not to follow them in their hypocrisy, in their teaching, for it was external. He knew that the wrath of the religious establishment would not only be against him and would not be spared, his followers would not be spared. He knew that they would be held uh, to task. And he reminded them of the truth about the Father's care for them in the opening verses of chapter 12. And he told them what they must do. He said they must acknowledge him before men. He says that to all his disciples, you must acknowledge me before men. They were not to worry about what they would say before the religious authorities, where God would give them words to speak, and if they would acknowledge him before man, he would acknowledge them before the angels of God, it says in verse 9. Holy Spirit would give them words to speak. Then we come to this transition from those opening verses to our passage this morning, verses 13 and following, and it's it's unforgettably abrupt. Uh, Jesus has been speaking of his Father's love, his Father's care, To his own, and a man interrupts him with a strange request, given what Jesus has just said. And we want to consider that as we come into our passage this morning. The Word of God from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13 and going through the 34th verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat. Or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is, God's, or it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So far the reading of God's own holy word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Your congregation, we all like to be Noted for something. We want to be winners. State champions. How many state champions we have here this morning? National champions, probably in volleyball or, you know, basketball or some sport. Well, I, I am here to tell you today, I am a national champion. In worry. I am a great champion of worry. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we can all at times fight over that trophy. I worry, well, how will the sermon go? I worry, oh, what if I'm wrong and I have to apologize? I worry, oh, what will happen when all the hair is gone? Silly things that we worry about. What do you worry about? You do worry. You may try to suppress that, but we all worry about something. We all worry about many things. Worry has plagued us since the very beginning when Adam and Eve decided that God's way was not the right way, that they would go their own way. Worry entered into our experience. What will we do to cover ourselves, to provide for ourselves? They recognized their nakedness. They recognized their need. And it's been a, true of humanity ever since. Man's focus changed, God's did not. That's what Jesus is saying here this morning. Man's focus has changed. We worry about a lot of things, men and women. You remember, as he said to Martha last sermon, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but there's one thing needful. We all worry about many things. But we are to focus on the fact that God has not changed. He still cares for his creation. Jesus says, in effect here, worrying is foolish. He has said in the verses previous to this, which we did not read, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
And not one of them is forgotten by God. Are not these sparrows, which are worth so little, they're not forgotten by God. Fear not. You are of more value than any number of sparrows. And with these words, barely out of his mouth, a man from the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Ah, the petty things that we worry about, that we focus on. When Jesus is speaking of the, of the most important things that would, would relieve us of all of our worries, and yet we, so often we're not even listening. The man is worried about material things. His heart is there. That's where his treasure is. Now, there were rules for this, the inheritance, how it was divvied up, but oftentimes if there was some sort of a disagreement or a problem, the, one of the local rabbis would be asked to uh, correct that or to make a decision. And he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, teacher, def- tell my brother to divide the inheritance. His focus was on that inheritance. One wonders if he was sleeping and woke up and, or was in days and woke up and wasn't even listening to what Jesus was saying. Well, it appears that certainly whatever, whatever was the case, the word did not have, Jesus' word didn't have a, a thing to say to him. It had no effect on him. Jesus refuses to make judgment, verse 15, and instead tell, teaches us where our focus should be. He says this, man, who made a ju- me a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care, he said to the rest of them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells a parable about a rich fool. The man had a, what we would call a first world problem. He had too much, couldn't fit it into his barns. That's a first world problem, brothers and sisters. Had too much. Didn't know what to do with it. What to do? Remember the sections uh, that we've been looking at in, in Luke's gospel. What have we been learning about? Jesus has been saying, love God and love your neighbor. It's in all the parables. It's in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in, uh, in, in his teaching throughout these verses in, in recent days that we've looked at in, in Luke's gospel. That's the theme pressing here in this parable. What could the rich man do? Children, what could the rich man do with all of his excess? Could help those who don't have any, right? Who don't have much, who have need. But instead, he worries, how am I going to hold on to all this? My barns aren't big enough. You realize the description of him being a rich man is important. It's not just a man, he is a Rich man, he doesn't need this excess, but he will not let go of it because he thinks his life consists in this abundance. He talks to himself, he thinks to himself, what will I do? And he says, I'm going to build bigger barns to secure my future. And he praises himself for his good idea. Now I can rest Now I can be secure. I can eat, drink, and be merry. But you see, friends, we don't have joy in our possessions. That isn't what gives us joy. God gives us joy. 
and he can allow us, indeed he often does allow us to hold on to things with joy because he reminds us that that is not where our life is. It's what we can do with what we have. It's how we can serve with all that we've been given, that we've been entrusted with. That brings joy. Tying it in a little bit with the previous verses that we looked at, just as the law experts wouldn't lift a hand to help those who were burdened under the laws they made, so this rich man wouldn't provide from his abundance to help those in material need. We have, a same, we have the same problem that Jesus was looking at last week, this week. He was saying, you have what you need to give. You have what you need to help, but you're only thinking of yourselves. You're only thinking of yourself. And Jesus then gives the conclusion of the matter in verse 20. He says, but God said to this rich fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who will get them? His abundance could not preserve his life. It was only God who could give him life. When Paul wrote to Timothy years later, reflecting on Jesus' teaching, he wrote of the teaching that Timothy ought to give to those who are rich. Listen to these words. They're very helpful. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He provides that we might enjoy. If we're stressed about possessions, if we're worried about holding on to them, we're missing where our focus should be. We're not focusing on God who gives us joy. We're focusing on stuff, thinking that more of it's going to give us joy. He says, no, don't focus on the uncertainty of riches, but focus on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Life is found in God, not in riches. Our focus must be on being rich toward God. Don't let the rich be haughty. Look at my wristwatch. It cost me $2,000. Do you have a $2,000 wristwatch? No, but mine tells time. Just like yours does. Maybe not as many diamonds in it, but I still get to work on time where I still get where I'm going on time. And you can think of many other ways in which the haughtiness of the rich plays itself out. Jesus says no. Paul says no. Don't. Don't act that way. Don't be like that. Be rich toward God. Jesus moves right into the teaching on why we can why we often worry, or what the things we often worry about, and how we can be free from worry when our focus is put in a different place. We can think back to his word to Martha, as I said at the opening. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but one thing is needful, to listen to Christ. 
to focus upon Christ, to have your life in Christ, to hear His Word and to respond to it. A right focus secures life. Jesus establishes the worry-free life upon what? Things? No. Upon relationship. Are we rich in relationship? He then goes on to say there are many reasons why we don't need to worry. He says, life is not about food and drink alone. Verses 22 and 23, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He teaches that there are more important things in life than fixating on food and clothes. The world tries to tell us that unless we wear certain clothes and eat at certain establishments or eat certain foods that we're not really living, but our Our lives and our bodies are for much more than the next meal or to be a hanger for the next set of fashion. We're made to live for God's glory, and we do that when we live worry-free and speak of His daily provision. We don't need to be concerned about these things, to make our lives about these things, even more we don't need to be anxious about them. Jesus says, consider the birds and the flowers. They are not anxious, and God provides, and he clothes them so that they might bring him glory. And we recognize there is a difference between how God provides for the plants and the animals versus how he provides for us. That's true. Birds don't sow and they don't reap and they don't store away and flowers don't clothe themselves, seek to put clothes on. Now, for us, it's a bit different. We do sow, we do reap, we do store, we do provide for others, we do need clothes, we make clothes and we buy clothes. There's a difference. We should work and plan for the future. This, Jesus isn't teaching us to be inactive or to be lazy. But we should only give reasonable attention to the things that God has placed in our care and not an idolatrous attention. And certainly we ought not to worry about our daily needs or make them our life's focus. Came across the example of Hudson Taylor, which I think is helpful for us, a quote that he made. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, and he was known for his trusting in the Lord daily even when it seemed like there was no way forward, that there was going to be no provision whatsoever, he trusted the Lord for everything, and the Lord would provide. His relationship with God has something to teach us about how to live a balanced and worry-free life. He said this, The use of means ought not to lessen our faith in God, and our faith in God ought not to hinder our using whatever means he has given us, for the accomplishment of his own purposes. So when we have stuff, it shouldn't lead us to, to, to think that we, less of a, that we have less of a need for God. At the same time, he says, whatever we have, we should be using to accomplish his purposes, not just sitting on it, putting it under our tent and taking it out maybe once a year to look at it. He understood that God would provide, and yet he also recognized that he was to put what God had provided to use for God's glory. No worry, faith-filled industry, and abundant generosity, if we could put it another way. 
When we fret over finances and possessions, we're telling the world that we have a very low view of God and his care for us. Jesus tells us that the Father loves us and places more value on us than the birds of the air. Verse 24, he says it again. He's spoken of the birds and now he speaks of them again. We see elsewhere as the scripture unfolds for us in the epistles how the Father loves us so much that he's given us his only son. And Paul goes on to reflect upon that. If he's given us his only begotten son, how much more will he not give us all things necessary? Romans 8, 32. He's going to give us all things necessary. He gives many reasons why we shouldn't worry here. A big one is, that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on in verse 25, is worry doesn't do any good. If you then are not, or excuse me, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? That's how Jesus puts it, verse 25. Kevin DeYoung drives this point home in a sermon that I listened to recently on worry that someone passed on to me, and it, it, it's, it's worth quoting here. I want to quote some of his statements. He says, Do you ever look back on a situation and think, hmm, I don't know how I made it through that. That was really hard. I don't know how I made it through except that I really worried. Or, money was tight, but worry really pulled me through. High school was tough. Wish I could have worried about more things. Wasn't sure about the diagnosis, but then all my friends gathered around me and said, you just need to worry a little bit more. Or how about this? Have you ever heard this? An athlete, after winning the big game, is interviewed, and interviewer asks, how did you do it? Well, I studied the film. I gave it 110%. I worked hard, and I worried as much as possible. Can't tell you how much the worry paid off. Or your doctor comes in after looking at the test results and says, well, all we can do now is worry. not going to do you any good, is it? Worry doesn't help us get through anything. We, we don't make life better by worrying. We don't extend our lives a moment by worry. Jesus says it again, God cares for you. He illustrates this by arguing from lesser to greater in verses 27 and 28 when he says looking, he's looking at the flowers of the field. He says the flowers and the grass have a short lifespan and yet God pours out his beauty among them, uh, upon them. If he does that with the flowers and the grass, will he not do the same and much more for you? And then he says at the heart of worry is a lack of faith. If God clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Phil Riken says this, when when we worry, we deny God's promise that he will give us whatever we truly need. When we worry, we deny his wisdom 
not trusting that he fully appreciates the difficulties of our situation. When we worry, we deny his goodness, not believing that he has our best interests at heart. When we worry, we deny his sovereignty, not waiting for him to provide what we need in his own good time. Our worry is a direct attack on the godness of God as it relates to the needs of our own daily lives. Thanks, Pastor. Now I'm worrying about offending God, too. But you know what? God says, I will give if you but ask. Ask of me to let go of those things and to trust. And I can help you with that, too. Indeed, I want you to trust me. I'm your father. Why do we worry? Well, because we have other plans for life. We have other goals. We have other things that we want people to notice us for. We want people to talk about us, perhaps. Or we forget that God is our Father in Jesus Christ and we think that we're alone. We forget the wonderful relationship that we have with the Father through Jesus Christ We do not earn it like the law experts taught in our sermon last week. We cannot keep it by even our most zealous religious efforts as the Pharisees thought. God in his own and his good pleasure says, I am your father. He says in verse 32, Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. That's such a vast Teaching, as I mentioned last week in the, in the New Testament, we can't possibly explain it all here, but it has everything to do with what will lead us to flourish, what will lead us to grow, what will lead us to become who God wants us to be, and he has only our best interest in mind. And, and it also has to do, as, as paramount importance, of that relationship with the Father that he wants us to have with him. There are only two ways to live in life. One is to live for ourselves and the things of the world and to be anxious about life. The other is to live for God and seek his kingdom and to know the path to peace. Here are some questions prompted by Jesus' teaching. Am I worried about having enough storage space for my stuff? Am I trying to figure out where I can build another shed to store it all? Does my budget show an imbalance between entertainment and recognizing the needs of God's people locally, nationally, internationally? Does it show an imbalance between entertainment and tithe? My budget... Am I meeting it or not meeting it? And is it because I have so many bills pertaining to gym membership, coffee habits, and hair appointments? Stress and worry come in when we follow all these other gods. But when we know God as he is and how he is for us in Christ, 
worry melts away and love grows. Service grows. No sacrifice for him seems too great. C.T. Studd, a well-known cricket player in England some decades, I believe it's over a century ago now, became an evangelist, giving it all up to serve the Lord, said this, If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Peter gives us wise counsel when he writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I might throw in another verse or a theme. Help him, ask him to help you see yourself as he sees you. To have that goal for yourself that he has for you. Not your personal fame, not your personal fortune, but your holiness. Your purpose to live for his glory. For he will not share his glory with another. Your father knows what you need. The peoples chase after such things, verse 30. But your father knows what you need, Jesus says. In fact, he knows better what we need than we know what we need. We're constantly being tempted to want what an unregenerate world wants and to prioritize what unbelievers around us want. But God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. His plan is a secure future, an eternal future in Christ. Not 15 minutes of fame now that the world can stand and look at you and you can preen and pose. And then only worry when it all begins to sag and to fade. He prepares you for that future now. If the thought of eternal, I asked myself this question, do I think of that? The thought of eternal glorious fellowship with God doesn't thrill my soul, then he certainly has work to do still today. And I would submit that to you as well. If that doesn't thrill your soul, if that doesn't thrill our souls, then God has work work to do in us. William Hendrickson says this, What Jesus is saying is that believers must differ in their inner yearnings from the world. They must set their hearts on different things, must be controlled by different ideals, must be motivated by a different love. And those different impulses and delights don't make us less joyful, less fulfilled, less content, but more. Because God is working in us the salvation of our souls to free us from worry and fear and bondage to sin that we might serve him. Now there's more that could be said, but I'll close with these words. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you, all that you have need of. So the only thing left to add is to ask this question, what investments are you making Where are you putting your time, your resources? Is Christ your treasure? Is he the name that you want your children to know? 
Is he the one that you want your neighbors to ask about when they see you working and living? Is that the relationship that you want others to see as most important in your life? That's where our hearts should be. He says that's where our hearts should focus, where our treasure should be. That's what we should invest in. And that relationship is the one which will deliver us from all worry and grant us eternal security. So then, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Therefore, focus on Him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so concerned about many things, even worried anxious, stressed out because we have different goals. We don't remember our purpose for which we were created. Help us, Lord, to remember that we were made for your glory, that you are working in us for our good, that you want us to focus upon you that we might be free from worry, ever mindful of your care, of your power, of your love. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.